A message from our sponsor, Riverview Boat Store and Tug Service. Riverview Boat Store and Tug Service has been your trusted marine supplier servicing the Upper Mississippi River for over 25 years. Since 1998, they have grown to be one of the largest inland boat stores. They are not just a delivery service. They have what you need in stock and ready to order. Their office and warehouse are centrally located in Bellevue, Iowa, and with their fleet of specially built delivery boats and refrigerated vehicles, Riverview can conveniently deliver groceries anywhere on the Upper Miss or the Illinois. Their green and white tugs can be found up and down the Mississippi, and they operate one of the largest lock assist businesses on the Upper Miss with 12 tugs servicing tows from Hastings, Minnesota to Clinton, Iowa. Their website now includes online grocery ordering with monthly specials available for review or download, and their fleet equipment information and vessel telephone numbers can also be found there. Like them on Facebook at Riverview Boat Store and Tug Service, and check out their website at www.riverviewboatstore.com. Welcome back to Between the Levees. I'm joined today by Mr. Henry Hill, former captain in the industry. He spent 16 years on the water and since 1989 has been driving trucks to and fro. I met this gentleman on Facebook. He is an admin of the Rivermen and River Boats Facebook page, one of the six that I upload to. This has taken a while. He is an over-the-road truck driver, so tracking him down has been a bit of a challenge. But, Mr. Henry Hill, thank you finally for joining me. Thank you, sir, for having me. Where do we find you today? Where are you right now? I'm in Bloomington, Illinois, actually kind of close to Pekin, Illinois, right off the Illinois River. And are you headed to Wisconsin or from Wisconsin? No, sir. I am heading to Richmond, Virginia. Didn't you load in Wisconsin? Yes, sir. I did load in Wisconsin, Mosinee, Wisconsin. Gotcha. Well, um, first things first, where do all these pictures come from that you're posting almost every day? Well, I went to a lot of libraries when I was younger, and uh, I got quite a few pictures off of them, took my phone in, snap pictures, stuff like that. Uh, got some, you know, borrowed some off of Dick's Towboat Gallery, um, but mostly uh, just different library sites and stuff like that. Um, I had quite a few, I'm going to say almost upwards of 600 photos I took myself of me being at the wheel on deck or whatever of boats that I was around at the time back in the 70s and the 80s. But we had a house fire about five, six years ago, and I lost quite a bit of stuff with it. Unfortunately, memories like that that you can't replace. You do seem to know a fair amount about all these boats you're posting about. Was all that knowledge just from over the years on the river? Well, both, actually, honestly, because there's a lot of them, as you notice, a lot of the pictures was before my time. So a lot of that stuff is like what I've learned, you know, through libraries and and reading and stuff. But there are a lot of those boats that I actually seen when I was out there on the water. I mean, there's a lot of guys just like in this profession here that they go down the canal or they go down the highway and not even pay attention to the other side of the road i was one of them guys who was always curious of what was coming at me and like i'd see a boat and i'd kind of put it in my metal you know uh memory of 
like, wow, this is a really cool boat or whatever. And I got, I got a memory that's kind of like a photographic memory, if you want to say. And it's like, I can see a boat now from 40 years ago and say, oh man, that used to be so-and-so or whatever, just by looking at it. Whereas a lot of, like I said, a lot of guys now are like, oh man, it's just another boat or it's another truck, you know, not even pay attention. And then later on down the line, somebody will say, hey man, you ever seen so-and-so boat? You ever seen the Joey Showtown or anything? They'll be like, I've heard the name, but I don't think I've ever seen that one. I was always, I grew up Channel View, Texas. And uh, born and raised in Houston, lived there almost all my life. And I grew up on the San Jacinto River in a little area called Banana Bend. And uh, I used to have a company called Parker Brothers uh, out of Houston. They had a shipyard and they had a sand and gravel business. And uh, they had, I don't know, probably about 10, 12 boats, mostly smaller boats. And they run around. Well, anyways, we lived on the river and it was like, I don't know, 400 foot from my house down to the, to the riverbank. And those boats used to pass and they would tie up next to our property. Up next to our property was called a right of way. It's like a clearing where the high line towers go across. And they had like a couple of wooden pilings out there. So those boats would bring up two barges. They couldn't take both barges up to the, to the pit at the same time. So that trip them one at a time. Those boats used to come up there called the zip two all the time. And I'd go over there and I'd start talking to the deckhands and stuff while they're tying the barges off and, you know, just getting real friendly and all getting to know everybody. And uh, one day old boy come out there and he says, hey, want to take a ride with us up there to uh, Banana Bend up there to the pit? We're going to go drop the spars off. You ride up there and ride back with us. It won't take that long. I didn't even go ask my mom or dad. I just jumped on the bars and took off. And ever since then, I fell in love with boats, man. How old were you at that point? 10 years old. Yeah. And uh, we moved away from there because it started flooding real bad. And uh, my dad decided we're going to move. He, he always loved the water. My dad never worked on boats. He was always truck driver, but he always loved the water since he was young. So he wanted to move to the water again, but to a higher place where it doesn't flood. So we moved down, oh, I don't know, about 10, 15 miles away over to Channel View, down there off of Market Street. And um, we moved over there and we lived there for probably, I don't know, about 10, 15 years. But back then it was mostly houses, whereas right now it's nothing but towboat fleets and barge fleets all through there. It's called the Old River. Well, my dad would make me laugh. He'd always say, man, you're never going to see any towboats down here, son. And I'm like, okay. And, and it was rare. Every once in a blue moon, you'd get somebody cut through there. But, you know, like maybe because the San Jack River down by the ferry was closed and that was the back way out. You know, it'd be like I said, every once in a blue moon, you'd get a boat go through there. But there was no boy that lived about three miles down the street from us. His name was Merle Griswold, and he owned a company called Inner Bay Towing. He had a couple of boats. He had the White Castle, 
the Poly L and the OU 311. Well, I used to go down there, ride my 10 speed bike down there and go, you know, talk to him and stuff like that. He let me go on the boat and eat dinner and stuff like that. And he says, man, when you get 14 years old and you get a minor's release, mom and dad let you get a minor's release, I'll put you to work. I was like, I thought he was joking with me at first. But so I talked my dad into it. Uh, went down and got the minor's release and started started decking in 1974 at a whopping $25 a day. And believe it or not, my dad, I quit school in the eighth grade. My dad was like, man, you're not going to mount to nothing. You're going to work at fast food rest of your life or you're going to dig ditches or be a garbage man or something, you know. And I started that decking job and I was making about half of what he was making a day. So I stayed with that old boy there for a couple of years and I went to work for a company called Western Towing right down the street from that, which is now Kirby the Rock. Kirby's got the fleet down there. They took over Western Towing. I worked on a boat down there called the Cove and uh, worked with a good captain, super good captain. He's, he's passed away years ago, uh, Cliff Dowhouse. And uh, he taught me a lot of stuff how to, you know, how to steer a boat and everything like that. And uh, I stayed over there for a little while and I got the fever to go on a canal. I never was really one of these guys that was real nuts. You know, I'd get the waterway journals and stuff like that and see, you know, the big boats like the Viking Queen and stuff like that. I never really cared. To me, you know, back then I was kind of a lazy kid, to be honest with you. And I was used to one or two barges all the time, man, you know the gravy train, and I'd look at the waterways journal and see these big boats with like 30, 40 barges. I was like, man, that's too much, too much work there, you know? So I kind of steered away from that. Never, never got interested in that. Uh, now I regret it. Now I wish I would have, but uh, so I, I went to work on a canal and my first canal companies I worked for were out of Louisiana, down on Bayou Lafouche, down out of Cutoff and Galliano. Worked with some real good people down there. And then after that, I went offshore for a couple of years for Nolte J. Terrio out of Golden Meadows. And I worked on a big offshore tug, Elise Caterio, 7,200 horsepower. And uh, she went to the North Sea for a while and I tried that. And it wasn't much fun, let me tell you, 40, 50 foot sea sometimes. So, we got back over to Louisiana again. She tied up. I got off of there and, and went back to inland again. Tell me some more about the North Sea before you get too far past that. Well, we was working off of Scotland quite a bit. And, man, it was just, you know, a normal day out there, what they call a calm day, was five to ten foot seas. And uh, which most of the time the North Sea is, is like that, to be honest with you. But when it does have the storms, it's, it's not like the Gulf of Mexico where, you know, you got 10, 20 foot seas. Uh, you get 40 to 50 footers out there. I mean, it's, it's well documented, man. I mean, it's, it's terrible out there, man. Um, it took me a while to get used to it. I remember the very first time I went offshore. I didn't get nauseated feeling from the seas or anything. 
I got nauseated because we left Cebu and it was one of these nights. I don't know if you've ever seen a night like this, but when you go out into an open water, the water looks dark black almost. And then the sky is black. It's got clouds covered and no stars or no moon or nothing. And it looks like you just, it's a weird feeling. I feel like you're going out into a void into, you know, a, a big open empty space. That's how I can, best I can describe it. And it just, it was pretty crazy, man, that first night out. You know, I felt a little nauseated then, but after that, I was fine, you know. Uh, the next morning, you know, when it was daylight, I was good. And uh, it took us, man, what was it? I'm wanting to say a good 14 days, maybe a little bit longer, to get over to the North Sea from Louisiana. That was a heck of a little ride there now. But, uh, and how old were you at that point? That point, I was, let's see, 22. And, uh, so that, that was year eight in the industry, correct? What's that? That was year number eight in the industry? Yes. Well, and, before, before we go too far down that road, uh, you, you mentioned your father was a truck driver. I believe we talked offline, your grandfather, too. Uh, yes. Where did they run? How long were they out there on the road? My grandfather um, first started out with Miss, Mrs. Bear's bread. And he was a company driver for a long time. Then he bought a couple of end dumps, hauling sand and gravel. And uh, that's how my dad got started. My grandfather taught my dad. My dad never was a company driver. He started out, my grandfather gave him a truck, and he started out as an owner-operator. And uh, my dad passed away back in the mid-2000s. Anyways, he finished up at uh, Mayflower Electronic Exhibits. He had one of these big, fancy, large car, pewter belts with like the 180-inch sleeper on it. And uh, he did all the electronic exhibits like over on the East Coast, like New York, Connecticut. Massachusetts, stuff like that. He drove for a long time. He started in the 50s. Um, I remember my grandfather used to have some old auto cars and some old Macs. And I remember them being rough riding, man. I mean, you know, there was no air suspension like there is now. You know, these trucks now be spoiled with them. You said you're 14, getting on a boat for the first time with a, a miner's release. Yes. Tell me about that experience. I know you said you've been on a boat before, but as far as working, onboarding, safety, all that kind of stuff, how was it back then? It was pretty neat, man. I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, I was real super excited to do it. Because like I said, I, I never did nothing more than ride or go down and have dinner on the boat. And that was about it. My first boat was a White Castle. She was built like in 1947 by Nashville Bridge. She had some twins out there. She had the Iowa, the uh, uh, Bullcalf, and the uh, Gibson, and the Crochet 3. She had like about four or five sisters. And she was a single engine, um, 600 horsepower. She had an Enterprise engine in it, which I don't think they've made Enterprise engines in 30, 40 years, to be honest with you. But she was a pretty quiet boat, man. She was a comfortable old boat. It was crazy, though, but 
it's like all the floors inside of her i'll never forget you know most boats you ride got tile floor or something in it i rode one boat that had a cultured marble floor in <laughs> but uh she had steel floors in it that we had to paint you know all the time because you know you walk across the painted floor just like the deck is going to wear down and um she had steel floors all through it had one head with a screen door on it no air conditioner no heater and that's something done and you'd have to go in there like in the summertime <laughs> at night you'd take a shower and you know, like I said, there was no AC or nothing like that. Didn't even have a oscillating fan in there. But anyways, and then you had to use a five gallon bucket to flush the toilet. And uh, other than that though, I mean, she's a heck of a boat from what I understand. She got scrapped about 10, 15 years ago. I think somebody told me, but you know, it's, it's a shame, man. Some of these old boats, you know, there's not any more like them around and they just scrap them, man, instead of, you know, trying to at least save one of each style, you know what I mean? And, and keep it as, you know, a, as nothing else, you know, make a museum out of it or whatever, like some of those steamboats they did, like the Verity and the WP Snyder. I mean, you know, there's some really neat old towboats that got scrapped over the years, man, that, it's, it's a shame because they were one of a kind. Just like I worked at Houston Bars Lines back in the, the mid 80s before I went to the wheelhouse, got licensed. And uh, I rode the uh, Captain Briscoe for a while. I always wanted to go ride the Brimstone. That was my favorite of the fleet. I never got to ride it. But that boat right there, they're fixing the scrapper, and she is one of a kind. She was the biggest conventional towboat the Parker Brothers built. The other boat that they built was a little bit bigger than her, but was the Captain Briscoe, which is now the Wisconsin for Marquette Transportation. She's a retractable. She's not a conventional. But those two boats right there were the biggest boats they had at the time. And like I said, Parker Brothers was about, I don't know, 10, 15 miles to the west where I lived when I lived in Channel View. They were over off of Green's Bayou, and uh, they built some pretty cool boats, man, I'll tell you. They, like I said, they were not only a shipyard, they also had a sand and gravel division. I did that for a while, and then uh, I finally broke loose in the, in the pilot house, and uh, I was working for Alamo Barge Lines, which was a pretty decent-sized company at the time. And uh, I loved it over there, man. I had some good times over there. And uh, that's where I broke in at the wheelhouse. Any good stories about your, your transition to the wheelhouse? Well, I was always excited to do it for one thing. I mean, you know, for, for one thing, it was a little bit better money. <laughs> and like I said, I was still in that little phase. I mean, I wasn't lazy, lazy, but I just didn't, you know, I wasn't into extremely hard work either. So it was that transition of being able to get off the deck, you know, not work hard and get in the pilot house and make a little bit more money. The prestige of being a wheelman, you know, back then it was a big thing, you know, it was a big to do. Like now everybody transitions into the pilot house and it's, you know, it doesn't hold the glory like it used to. I mean, it's just, 
It's just a natural thing now, whereas back then, you pretty much had to earn it. Now they got these guys coming out, man, they'll ride the boat for a year or two, and next thing you know, they're already relief captain or captain, man. Back then, you'd ride a boat five, six, seven, maybe 10 years, you know, and you had to earn it, man. I mean, you had to, like, one of my best interviews that I've seen that you've had so far is a gentleman that I'd really like to meet. And he explains it just how it was. And that's Captain Jimbo J-Rod. That gentleman right there and, and Captain Larry Barnes with Barnes Marine, those two guys right there can tell you some stuff now and, and you can take it for gospel, man. I mean, they've been there, done that. And everything that they say is right to the T. I mean, we all worked on boats about the same time. Larry, Captain Jimbo, and I, you know, it's just, I was never, like I said, into the big boats. I, I rode the, Captain Briscoe was the biggest boat I ever rode. And I didn't ride it for a long time. I rode it for like three or four hitches. And then they took me off of that and they put me on a Margie D, which was a small 800 horsepower boat that shoved one sulfur barge we ran from Brady's Island in Houston out to uh, uh, Trinity, up the Trinity River up there to the sulfur dock up there by Dayton, Liberty. And uh, then I left over there and I went to, that's when I went to work for Alamo. And then Alamo eventually became a uh, Hollywood Marine took over Alamo. And then later on, I guess after that, after I got off of boats, I think 89 or 90, maybe that's when Kirby came in. So, well, so that got you off of boats. I know you said there were some, some family complications that brought you yeah, yes, back, uh, back shoreside. Yeah. Real, real bad family issues got me off. And when I did that, I actually got like real comfortable with, you know, not being gone. Um, I kind of understand where a lot of people come. Like I have a lot of friends that are captains now. And it's just like in this business, man, the, the, the glory, the new wears off quick. And it's like, I've always had like a short attention span on, on things. I get tired of them fast. Um, it's like, man, I got so used to being home. You know, my dad taught me how to drive truck. I was running pretty much local stuff like that. I'd be home a lot. And when you do that after a while, you know, you get used to it, and it's like, man, I don't need to go back out on a boat. And honestly, the 90s and almost to, like, the middle 2000s, I didn't even see towboats, man. I didn't even hardly even go around them. I mean, it was rare, you know, because most of the truck driving companies I worked for, we just ran around Houston and out, like, San Antonio or up to Dallas and then when I started doing long haul, I started doing nothing but Houston to California every week back and forth. So I was never even seeing towboats, man. I mean, it, and it just, you know, it, they just left me. And all of a sudden, about 2005, I guess it was, 2006, I started for some reason getting a fever again. I tried to get back on boats. I couldn't. And then finally, 2012, I ran into an old boy, Captain Keith St. Pierre. And I used to work with him on a Mr. Warner for uh, St. Pierre Marine down in uh, Galliano, Louisiana. Well, anyways, uh, we uh, 
he contacted me and says, hey, man, I heard you want to go back to work on boats, man. I was like, yeah, kind of. I know I had to start all over and stuff like that, you know. And it was like, well, don't you still have your license? I was like, nah, man. So uh, he says, well, you're going to have to start over and get a couple years on the deck, and then, you know, maybe you can get, get your license back, get some letters written to you and stuff like that. And uh, so he got me on with a company called Genesis Marine, a pretty good company. And I rode with him for a little bit, and I rode mostly uh, on the uh, Red River Express, a boat that ran from uh, Baton Rouge, New Orleans. We ran like from uh, uh, Magellan, Marrero, up to Davis Oil, up in Shreveport, Louisiana, up the Red River. And that was a pretty, pretty neat deal there. What do you remember about that? What made it so neat? It's just that it was a really cool river for one thing. I mean, different because I mean it's a little bit different than the Mississippi River. I've never really honestly ran the the Missouri. I ran the Ohio a little bit up to like Mount Vernon. Uh, never passed that. Um, it's just a, it's hard to explain. I mean, it can be a swift river now. Let me tell you, that song of a gun can run, but uh, it's just. I believe it was only four or five locks. I can't remember 100% sure. It's so funny. It's like, I could tell you what happened 35 years ago, but try to tell you something that happened five, six, seven years ago, I kind of get a little mental block on it. But I think it was four or five locks you went through. And then, like I said, we went up to Davis Oil, which is uh, just below Shreveport, right outside Shreveport. And uh, there's a steel dock right below Davis Oil. You see them tarot boats up there all the time. But uh, it was just like I said, it was smooth because of locking, you know, you could go into the locks and it didn't take very long to lock through most of the time. And the the only pain in the butt thing about it was is you'd get into the season where you had those lily pads that would get real thick and real bad in certain areas. And you'd have to raise the sounder up about once an hour to clean the lily pads off the off the foot and uh, on the sounder and uh then we had this little section you come out of the old river down there at the bottom there's a tarot fleet down there you come out of there's a little section kind of make like a left turn and go up and this uh, area called a gauntlet it's a bunch of little underwater dikes and stuff in there and we broke a couple face wires going up through there hitting the dikes and uh but it was a pretty sweet deal i mean we had two 30,000 uh barrel heated oil barges that were pushed i tell you what man tow boat when i went back to it in 2012 man it changed like 100 percent. i got on the boat and i looked at them face wires what used to be face wires steel wires and they were that <laughs> I call them Velcro rope. I don't know what it's called, what the real name is. I've heard it called so many different names, but I seen those. I was like, what in the world? And Keith was explaining to me, he's like, man, there was a lot of injuries because of those heavy, you know, steel face wires. So they went started going through those. And uh, I'll never forget my first day on the boat, man. After not being on the boat 30 years, man. We were at Brady's Island up there at Bloodworth Shipyard up there. And um, it's now called Southwest Shipyard. But anyways, 
um, the boat was getting some work done to it. So we had to go out on a, like a little shakedown cruise and let them check the engines and stuff like that. So we came back and we had to tie up alongside the empty barge. And I'm not bragging or nothing, man. I mean, probably thousands of guys do this because I, I see videos, guys know I throw lines. But after 30 years, man, we went alongside the barge and I caught a quarter line from the, the front quarter bit up to the empty, caught a cavalry. And on the first try, you know, Keith's like, man, you still a cowboy. <laughs> so, I mean, and it was, it was, like I said, I thought it was pretty neat after all them years, not throwing a line or not even seeing one, you know, to actually do it. I was really starting to like it over there and things started getting bad though, man. It just, you know, there's tying a lot of boats up all over. Things started getting real slow. Um, over at Genesis, man, we were running skeleton crews quite a bit. I remember one time we had, it was just me and a tanker man, and we had three barges. And uh, we were unloaded, we unloaded down there at Shell Narco, well-known dock. Anybody that's been riding towboats knows about Shell Narco quite a bit, that dock down there. But anyways, uh, long story short, it was just me and the old boy on there, tanker man. And he'd been up for a couple of days, you know, it was him and a shore tankerman was discharging the three barges. He was having a pretty rough time. He's pretty worn out. So we got orders to uh, swap tow with another boat. Another boat was coming up, bringing us three more, and we we're giving our three to them. So though I uh, was on a pilot's watch, I was on call watch, 12 and 12. And uh, the pilot says, well, we got this old boy coming up, bring us three barges. You better go wake, wake the old boy up, man. Get him up out of bed, you know, let him get a cup of coffee before we swap our toes. I was like, you know what? I'm going to handle this myself. So the old boy brought us three barges up. And, you know, each barge has like five soft lines on it for dock lines. I stripped 15 soft lines off. Two five-gallon buckets, tools, the running lights, pike pole. Um, what was it? Man, it was like six or eight fire extinguishers. And I brought all that stuff back to the boat and let him sleep. I handled everything. But I'm going to tell you what, I ain't going to lie to you. I was worn out. <laughs> I probably ain't been that worn out since I was a teenager, man. I mean, 52 years old doing that stuff like that. It was, it was pretty rough. What's one of the prettiest or most surprising places you've been on a, on a towboat? Man, when I first, I started, I was riding on a model bow tug, a little 65 foot long tug. And we pushed one barge from Tentacle Chalmette to St. Mark's, Florida, Tentacle St. Mark's and running that east side through the Mississippi sounds down through Florida and out that way. It's beautiful, man. I mean, most of the time the water is blue, green, kind of like on the West End out there by Padre Island, Corpus Christi. But it is so nice running down there. And there's not a whole lot of towboat traffic out there. Now, the sounds can get a little bit congested every once in a while and rough. But like I said, I was on a little tug. It, it had a towing winch on the back. She was rigged up to where she could go offshore, too. And this was uh, 1981 late 80, uh, early 81, 
when I wrote her and uh, Chuck called to Eric Paul for St. Pierre and Sons Marine. And uh, Eric, the Chuck's namesake, I wrote as his mate. And back then it was very, I don't know if other boats from like Mississippi, Alabama or Texas did it. I know mostly it was Louisiana boats rode what's called an unlicensed pilot. It's like I was making $90 a day, but I didn't have a license. And I did that for a while. But like I said, on that boat, that boat was a real nice little boat. Eric taught me a lot. Um, would go through the sounds. And if it got too rough, you know, the tow boats would hold up and stuff. And like I said, our boat was inland and offshore tugs. I mean, you could go offshore with it real easy. And I said, add a towing wrench on the back. The water would get too rough. We'd just put the thing on the, on the hawser, put it on the towing wrench, and tow her on across. Them old model bow boats, man, they ride pretty good, you know, and, and uh, waves, whereas a flat bottom boat would beat you to death. Side actually, honestly, and I bet you can talk to any tow boater, and they'll tell you the same thing. From uh, uh man, from the rigolettes over, it's some beautiful, beautiful running area over there, man. I really liked it, man. I remember one morning I woke up, first run we made down there, and it was kind of foggy out, and Eric was up there in the pilot house with me, and he's like, "Look over there to the right." I couldn't see much fog. And the next thing, the fog started clearing up a little bit. And we were going by Pensacola Navy Base. And there was a big, huge aircraft carrier right there. And that's the first time I'd ever seen an aircraft carrier in real life. And it just, it was massive. It looked so cool, man. And uh, we did that run for quite a while down that way. That was a sweet run. Like I said, one bars, tentacle shall met the tentacle uh, St. Mark's. Tell me about the, the prettiest or most surprising place you've been on the road. Oh, man. <laughs> There's so many of them, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, I've, I've been in every state in the United States and quite a bit of the provinces of Canada. I've never been to Alaska. Um, I've been all up and down the east coast um, of Canada, Halifax, Nova Scotia, I've been to Newfoundland where you have to ride the ferry across. Uh, you know, they put trucks on there all the time. And you ride across the Newfoundland the island out there. Um, I'm going to honestly say, and this is going to sound funny, man. The most beautiful part to me is along that Columbia River between Oregon and Washington. I mean, it is just, you know, I take pictures of it, do videos, whatever. It's just, it doesn't do it justice man you have to see it with your own eyes i mean it is some gorgeous beautiful country through there man and it can get wicked too i mean you wouldn't think it but that river right there can get 70 to 80 to 100 mile an hour winds through that columbia gorge and those tow boats up there man they're tough buddy let me tell you there will be four to five foot white caps out there on that water sometimes you know 70 80 mile an hour winds and those old boys right there, man, they're still moving, man. They ain't pushed into the bank waiting on wind or weather. They're rolling, man. They're moving. And But it's not by choice, naturally, because the thing that's different between that river and, say, the Mississippi, the Missouri, or the Ohio, 
which are all basically, you know, mud bottom, sand bottom, whatever, you know, sediment. The Columbia River is mostly the bottom is lined with rocks. So you really can't do much stopping. I mean, there ain't no pushing into the bank over there unless you want to tear a hole in the bottom of the barge. I mean, them old boys up there, it's, you know, it's a whole different ball game, man. Well, tell me about life on the road. Uh, actually pretty boring. <laughs> I mean, I look forward to uh, to going around uh, the water and stuff like that. You know, um, it's really actually boring. Like I said, I've been doing it for so long. It's just a, basically a paycheck now. But I've been with this company for seven years. And the reason why I stay with them is because I can do stuff. Like I can get off the beaten path and I go down to lock number seven. I could go to lock 12, lock 13, just whatever, man. I can go down to the chain of rocks, drive up on the levee, catch boats over there, and my company don't say nothing. As long as I do the job, get the load delivered, everything's cool, man. I mean, you know, and, and the thing about it is, is like when I go to Houston, my hometown, I deliver a lot over on the east side out by Bayport, uh, Baytown and Laporte, and most truck drivers, they go to the truck stop. Well, I really don't like going to truck stops. One thing, I've been hit three times in the truck stop. And, you know, it's not fun riding around with a pretty truck that's all busted up because somebody backed into you or hit you. So I'll go, like, when I go to the Houston area, I got a refrigerator, I got microwave, everything in here that I need, man. I stock up, stop at Walmart, get my food and my drinks. And I'll go hang out down there by the Lynchburg Ferry. There's a place you can park like about three or four trucks down there. And it's real peaceful and quiet. And all the boats pass there. You got boats coming out of San Jack River. You got the Houston Ship Channel. Tees right there. So I catch a lot of traffic right there. And that's what I like to do, man. I mean, I'm one of these type of guys that I don't need a truck stop except to shower and fuel. Other than that, man, you'll catch me. You look off the side of the road and there'll be like a wide dirt spot and I'll be parked out there and that's where I'm sleeping at, man. I don't like sleeping in congested areas, man. As funny as it might sound, it, it unless it's real hot or real cold, I'm not going to run my auxiliary power unit for my heat and my air conditioning. I'm going to like last couple of nights, like in Wisconsin, I opened my, my windows out. I got windows on the side sleeping with screens on them and I let a good breeze come through there. I mean, it gets down to like 52, 48, 52 degrees and sweet sleeping. I don't like to hear any kind of noise. You get in the truck stop nowadays and they got all these other new breed of drivers, man, they come in and, you know, they don't care about wear and tear or if they burn up fuel, they're not paying for it, man. So it's like they come in, park next to you, rev their truck all the way up to you know like 1500 rpms man i mean you're screaming man and you're over there you got everything shut off got your windows open trying to enjoy the peace and quiet and these guys just don't care man so that's why i like to go find a place where it's just me and i can just relax man and sleep good but the funny thing about that too is like i can't stand noise like out here like this but when I was working back on the towboats and I'd go home, I couldn't sleep because there wasn't the noise of the engines running, you know. 
And of course, you know, most of the time, the only time you shut the engine down on a tow boat is if you're in dry dock or if you're at the dock or in a fleet, you know. I mean, the rest of the time when you're running, you know, you're gonna, you get used to all kinds of noises. Like we used to run down a canal, shut one engine down, you know, at a time and uh, check the oil and stuff and then crank the engine up and shut the other one down, you know. You do that, you know, every watch. So, I mean, you know, you just get so used to that kind of noise and the vibration and everything. And it's, you know, it's, it's a whole different world, but it almost runs pretty much parallel because out here, as on tow boats, you've got log books. Out here, you got mile markers. I mean, we both take diesel. We both got a fuel. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's quite a few uh, similarities in it. Did any other stories come to mind from your, your career on towboats? Anything interesting that, that you'll just never forget? Well, I'll never forget the first time I ran a canal to the river. I was always, when I was young, man, I, I, I hate to admit it, and it, it's a fault of mine, but back then I was super, super gullible. Just believe just about anything anybody said. Like I said, I hate to admit it, but I like to be truthful. And I remember the first time I rode a canal boat and we were heading for the river. I heard all kinds of stories about boats coming out of the Fort Allen route, trying to turn north into the river and the current being real bad and the boat, you know, falling down below the lock and getting hung up in ship anchor chains and capsizing and drowning the whole crew so <laughs> the first time man i went out of port allen locks out on the river i stayed out on the barges till we got headed upstream pretty good and then i went back to the boat but then after that man it just you know it's just like man it was nothing you know a lot of guys i can see honestly i always love the canal a lot of guys don't love the canal they love the river but to me, it was the opposite. I never really cared for the river that much, man. Um, I always liked the canal, man. I like going from Brownsville to Florida back and forth, man. And uh is my favorite state, man, in the country. And I just love being in Louisiana. I lived down on Bayou Lafouche in the late 70s, early 80s for a little bit. And I love and miss it down there, man. Like I said, it just... Louisiana's got a lot of cool little areas to go through, you know, like home of Twin Bridges and, you know, Bayou Buff over in Morgan City and then you got Bayou Sorrow Locks up the Port Allen route. It's, it's got a lot of cool stuff. The only thing I really didn't get to run that much, which I wish I could have, was the Chafalaya River. I only ran it once up to Crotch Springs, but that river's pretty neat too, you know. There's, there's you know, like I said, there's a lot going on over there to me. You know, I, I really enjoyed my time over there. From a, some previous guests, I've heard how it was coming out of Algiers Lock into the river for the first time. Uh, tell me what that experience was. I know you said you were avoiding drowning out on the barges, but uh, coming out of the canal, coming out of the Port Allen Lock, tell me about that that experience. It's just like I said, sometimes, you know, the, the water can get to running right there, man. And, and But I tell you that, I mean, it's, it's the river. I mean, the rivers, you know, it, it gets times where I'm going to say pretty much most of the time it's it's not hot, hot, but it, it's running all the time, you know. And it just like I said, you know, you come out of the locks and the boat starts sliding on you sideways a little bit, you know, because back then 
I rode a lot of boats that these guys now to go into the pilot house would never think of doing stuff like we used to do. We used to run an 800 horsepower boat and would shove, you know, a thousand eighty foot of tow, whatever out there, man. That's unheard of nowadays. I mean, everybody's got to have at least a 2600 or whatever to do that. I mean, it's just, you know, we did some crazy stuff. We used to push 12 barges out of Weeks Island salt mines over there into uh, Bayou Buff. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that, you know, with the 800. I mean, it just, uh, boats didn't have that much power, but you had a heck of a tow. And you get out there with that size tow, you come out in Port Allen Locks and that river run a little bit, man, you're going to go sideways for you get turned up. I mean, I remember many times we had the Capital Fleet boats come out there and push our head around for us, you know, assist us. So, I mean, stuff like that, when you're not really used to doing that kind of stuff, can kind of be a little bit intimidating, you know. But uh, I took a 80 foot through home of Twin Bridges with an 800. It was, it was pretty wild. You said you came out of weeks with 12? Yeah, weeks salt mine, 12 empty barges. Were you six long or four long? No, we were uh, six long, uh, two wide. Hmm. And that and was took... back then because not very much. Like I said, we were, you'd kind of bootleg some stuff. You know, you'd do a lot of crazy stuff, just like in trucking, man. When I <laughs> I first drive, started driving trucking, man, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's cool to put it on the air like this or not, but we did some pretty wild stuff too. How long did it take to get through Bayasaur Lock with 12? We didn't go through Bayasaur. That was a Fort Island route. We went by your buff over towards Algiers. You get to Morgan City, you make a right turn instead of going straight. Straight to put you on a Fort Island route and you make a right turn and go through the Bayou Buff Locks and take you over through Homa and over to Algiers. Right. I, I, I guess I misunderstood you because <laughs> we can't even get a, uh, you got to break strings, you know break the toes in half to get to sorrel oh yeah yeah definitely i mean and you can only take a couple through there i mean it's like um i remember back in the day i worked on a boat that up for the valley line called the leslie brewer because a company called brewer marine service they had the leslie brewer the billy brewer and the vital brewer well, anyways uh we had a contract with valley lines and uh we would shove five of those valley line hopper barges strung out. You could take them through Brad before they started having accidents left and right. You could take them through Brad's floodgates and Colorado locks like that five long. We did it many times, but then, you know, later on guys were coming through there. And back then, uh, Union Carbide had quite a few toes running that way too. And Union Carbide barges were like, 250 i think 290 something like that they were all different sizes they had box and they had rake pieces and stuff but they were you know bigger than what i call regulation regulation 195 by 35 um and those guys would come through there try doing the same thing with that then they started hitting you know bow heads and stuff like that bow nose man uh um started hitting the gates uh you know started tearing up the long wall or you know then that's when they put an end to it, man. And nowadays, you know, everybody's got a trip across there pretty much all the time. I mean, I think now you can maybe take two strung out across there, but 
like I said, back in the day, it was nothing, man. I mean, I worked on boat, man. We used to put, put it on a, on a hawser, man, going across Corpus Christi Bay, going across Laguna Madre and stuff for Brownsville, you know. That old winter get to kicking, would have four empty strung out, wouldn't would bust out of, would knock the boat out, man, and, and get on the on the hawser, man, and drag them across. And uh, there's another river I forgot. It's in Texas. It's pretty neat, actually. It's over there on the west side, and it's called the Rio Hondo River over there. I think is what it's called. It's it's by Rio Hondo, Texas, and it's pretty neat. It's uh. It goes up, I don't know, I'm not exactly sure on the length of it, but it's a pretty cool little river. It's got a lot of nice houses and camps and stuff alongside of it. You know, you got that river, you got the Colorado River, and then you got the, the Brazos River. And then uh, we used to go over there to Chocolate Bayou a lot. Monsanto had a, a pretty good sized plant over there we used to go to. Monsanto chocolate by you quite a bit. There's some, you know, some neat waterways around the United States. The thing I always thought would be cool is I run Montana quite a bit. I run Montana, uh, Wyoming, just like the states I run a lot, North Dakota. I always thought it would be cool. The Yellowstone River in Montana is a long river. And I always thought it would be cool if there was some way they could connect that well, like say the Missouri or the Mississippi and run towboats up there. That would be real neat. Cause I mean, Montana is a gorgeous country too. And that, that Yellowstone river is pretty wide in some spots. I mean, you could, you could get some boats through there. It just, they'd have to do a lot of dredging. Now that's the only bad thing. I think that river is like four foot deep, deep, deep spot, pretty shallow river, but it's a long river. I think that thing is like five, 600 miles long. And it's a beautiful river. But like I said, it just, uh, we got beautiful waterways all around the country, man. My thing, my dream was always to go over to Europe and go ride a towboat over on, that's why I post a lot on, on the group of the boats that run the Rhine and over in France and stuff, the Seine and stuff like that. I think that that would really be cool to go over there and work. Everybody's talking about going down to, South America, Paraguay, nah, man. I've already done it. You know, you go tow boat in Louisiana, Mississippi, it's like that. I mean, you know, it's basically the same thing if you ask me. And the thing, like I said, be cool is the Rhine River, the Seine River, you know, all them rivers over there in Germany and, and, and Hungary and stuff like that. They have some real cool looking stuff going on over there, man. And they st seem to stay pretty busy too. I don't know if you've ever seen any of my pictures I post, but I have some pretty pretty cool looking vessels and their stuff is not real far off from ours. I mean, uh, I mean they got face wires, they they wire the toe together. Most of them have big wheel ones. I don't know if they use uh, ratchets or not, but um, and the, the only thing that I've never seen about them is I've never seen pictures of them at night. So I don't know if they use the same kind of running light configure. I'm sure they used the starboard and port, you know, lights on the pilot house are the same as ours, but on a tow, I'm not sure if it's the same thing, you know, with the, the, the flashing yellow light in the center. So I've always wanted to see, but I haven't never seen any night pictures. I'll have to go dig around and find some of those pictures you're talking about. 
Yeah. Now I can tell you for a fact, the Columbia River is 100% identical as far as navigation lights to, you know, Mississippi River, Missouri, uh, Ohio, whatever, man. Their, their lights are the same thing. They got the, the red, green, and the flashing yellow, but they don't use swing lights. That's the only difference, you know. Uh, towboats down south or on the river, you know, use the old peep light, and uh, the ones on the Columbia don't. And a lot of them up there, they like to use those uh, wind socks instead of wind flags. That's that's another difference. It's up there is all the locks up there. You can go into all them locks with a four pack like they do and not even have to knock the boat out, man. I mean, their locks are so simple, man, so easy to make. It's not like ours where, you know, you got a you got a bus tow, man, you know, make a cut or whatever, put the cut back together, stuff like that, you know. Up there, man, they just going with the whole thing, man. Catch the line and rock and roll to the next one. I mean, you know, but they don't have as many locks as we do. Like, man, when I was with Genesis, we had a run up to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I think that, if I remember right, the Arkansas River had 18 locks on it. And it's not a super long river. I mean, it's not like Mississippi or Ohio. But man, 18 locks, it seemed like you get out of one lock and maybe go five miles and you come up on another one. I mean, it's crazy up there, man. And I've, <laughs> I got lucky. I got to go up there and do it in the wintertime. And believe it or not, folks, Tulsa, Oklahoma can get pretty miserably cold up there. I remember many five-degree days in that port of Catoosa. That does not sound fun. No. And the farthest I've ever been up the Mississippi River, I went twice as a deckhand, and I can barely remember it. I worked for a company called Coastal Towing out of Houston, and they shoved uh, tank barges, and we went to Savage, Minnesota twice, which is up the Minnesota River. You get off the Mississippi through St. Paul and get on the Minnesota River, which is a pretty small river, and we'd go up there and, and – uh, forgot i can't be honest with you i couldn't even tell you the name of the the oil dock up there at all man it's been so long ago i mean that was like 80 1980 when we went up there last time but if i was a deckhand to start all over again i would honestly it sounds funny as long as i didn't have to be on car watch i'd want to be a deckhand on the upper run up to St. Paul, man. Seriously, that is some beautiful scenery up through there, man. I've really taken a liking to that up there. And I've, I've started, honestly, uh, over the last six or seven years, I really started getting familiar with that river. Because like I said, I'd only, as a deckhand, when I rode boats, I'd only been on it twice. And you know how it is. When you're on the deck, man, it's, it's like, I don't know, man. Sometimes you miss locks and you miss scenery. I mean, because you're sleeping. You know, I was lucky. I didn't run. I didn't uh, work call watch. We, the boat I was on, we had two tankermen, two deckhands. So I stood six hour watch with tankermen. So, you know, there'd be times, you know, I'd be sleeping and we'd go through like, say, um, oh man, Leclerc or Davenport. And I'd miss it because I'd be in bed. Unless you wanted to stay up, which, you know, you really didn't want to do that because you kind of valued your sleep a little bit, but, you know. Well, Captain Henry, I appreciate your time today. How many more miles do you have before you get to Richmond? 
Well, from right where I'm at right now, it's about, oh, 800 miles. Is that two days running? Well, a day and a half. Uh, now, before these electronic logbooks came out, it was a day's running. <laughs> I mean, it was nothing to do 800,000 miles a day, man, on paper. But now, now yeah, I can average, my truck can run 76 mile an hour. It's governed at that. So in a good 11 days, I mean, 11 hours, I'm sorry. If I stay on interstate, I don't get on back roads or nothing. I stay on straight on interstate. I could get anywhere from 730 to 7.50 in an 11-hour period, which isn't going to happen going that way, unfortunately, because like in the morning, I still got Indianapolis, and it's going to be traffic time. I go through there. And then, you know, you got some slowdowns and stuff like that. You get over there. I got to go over to Dayton and then drop down 75. And then I drop down 75 a couple exits to 35. And I'll take 35 down into Charleston, West Virginia. And then I'll pick up 64 and run it over to 77. And I'll run 77 down towards Richmond. But, you know, it's those little transitions and, you know, a few of the spots through down through there. You got little towns like that. 35 is not an interstate it's you know got some slowdowns on it so it's not going to be you know if i make 650 miles in 11 hours i'd be doing good and did you say the next stop after that is home yes it'd be going home from there and that's a long ways to the house from richmond let me tell you lord have mercy so it is a drive back home that's it's not these company trucks they don't fly you home kind of like tow boats no, no, no. You take the truck home, go do your home time, which is way different from tow boats. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, man. I mean, you know, these some of these guys on tow boats make me laugh. They're like, man, I've been out. You know, they go home for 14, 15 days, whatever. They're like, man, you know, I got to go back to work, man. I've been out 15 days, man. It's like, man, I stay out sometimes two months, and I'm lucky if I go home five days, man. I mean, you know. Put yourself in my shoes one time and see how, how you feel about that 15 days off, man. You feel like you're on vacation then. I'm serious, man. It don't work like that in this business. Hey, they can't afford to let these trucks sit around too long. These wheels, the only time that they're earning is when they're turning, brother. It's a whole different ball game when it comes to stuff like that, you know. Don't keep rolling, Gap. Drive safe. I'll see you on Facebook, all right? All right, sir. I appreciate you, man. Enjoyed it. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.